The Ephesians, the third chapter, the 14th verse of the third chapter, it says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father. Notice that it can be a literal bowing, but in the Bible, many times when it talks about bowing, it's actually a symbol of the heart and submission to obeying God. And so when he said he bowed the knee, like when we use the name of Jesus against the powers of the enemy, the Bible said every one of their knees will bow. In other words, it's a sign of them submitting. In other words, they don't just bow, but it's just saying they are obedient. And Jesus, you know, when he was tempted, the devil said, if you'll bow down. And then Jesus' response was not just about bowing, it was about submitting and obeying. And so he said, for this reason I bow my knees or submit to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Concerning his call to get truths across to the people so they could walk a victorious life. If you want to know what the book of Ephesians is, it's a book written to Christians so Christians can learn how to walk effectively and walk victorious in every area of life, in service toward God, being successful in relationships, in other words, and being triumphant over all wicked powers, temptation, and everything. That is what the book of Ephesians is about in a nutshell. So he said, verse 15, from whom, in other words, he bowed to the Father of, his, of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. In other words, everyone who's received the name or received Jesus is called by that name. We're part of the family and we're under the name of Jesus. And it goes on to say, and here is where we're going to pick up where he bowed and he started praying, and this is what he prayed. And these verses right here are so full of stuff that we need to get a hold of. He said that he, God the Father, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. In other words, this is for all generations till he returns. Now, we just said a bunch, but what did he just say? He said, yeah, I said a lot. I've read stuff before and said, wow, they read, he said a lot right there. I could tell he read a lot. You know, have you ever watched those eating shows? There's that diners, drive-ins, and dives one with Guy Fietti, I think is how you pronounce his name. But have you ever seen him? I don't know how he gets his hair like that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But you ever seen him when he eats? He'll sit there and he'll get something, he'll put it in his mouth, and he's like, there's a pinch of salt, there's a little bit more pepper. It's more oregano than I would normally use, but you could tell that he dusted his fingers against the oregano when he grabbed this cumin. And I'm like, ha, what? And he's all, then he cooked it for 45 minutes, and he probably should have stopped at about 38. And I'm thinking, it tastes good, right? And he's like, this is about an 87. I mean, he just 
He knows all the stuff that's in it. Every now and then he'll go, but what is that other thing? But he'll go through a list. Most people that go eat there, they're just like, this is good or this is not good. Right? I mean, if you don't appreciate what's in there, macaroni and cheese is good from Kraft. You know what I mean? It's either good or it's not good. But why people are like, well, why do you go to the macaroni grill or Olive Garden to get macaroni and cheese? Hopefully it tastes different. Or you notice the difference because there is a difference from Kraft macaroni and cheese. I know you could start a small war right now. But the fact of the matter is there are differences. And right here, we just read through that. There is some rich stuff in here. It's more than salt and pepper. Notice this. He said he bowed his knees to the Father. What was he trying to do? He is about helping these believers get to where they need to be and walk where they need to walk in the Lord. Though they're saved, though God's in them, Though God is for them, though they've been filled with the Spirit, they're not living the way that they ought to, and he's trying to help them. So he's preaching things, and now he's praying that they get the things that he's preaching because you could hear it and not get it. So he wants them to get it. So the first thing he does is targets the area where they get it, in their spirits, in their inner man. Notice this. He said, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he, God the Father, would grant you according to the riches of his glory, or from the riches of his great glory. He wants to take something from there. God's got a lot. And he wants God to get from the riches of his glory, his power... All that he has, he wants to get this into you. But notice what he said, that he would grant you or give to you according to the riches of his glory. In other words, his spirit, his strength, his ability. Notice this, to take of it and to cause you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So by the act... So he prays, God, I need you to do this to these people. And he's saying, by an act of his spirit working in you, he wants to take his glory and power and cause it to be infused in you and strengthen you. That's why when it gets to the, the 20th verse, it says, God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask according to his power that works in you. The power that's working in you here is based on him praying and saying, God, by your power, take of your strength, infuse them mightily in their inward man by your spirit. In other words, his spirit, when he prayed, and if we pray this way, will begin to strengthen you inside. That beats going to the gym because that's your working. Right? I mean, you can go to the gym and work out. That's good, but that's you working. This is the Spirit strengthening you. This is the best membership you could have. You get stronger by Him, but there's a purpose in this strength. Now, you can't do that and say, Lord, I pray I just lose weight and 
No, naturally you have to do things, but he does something here. He said he would strengthen you through the avenue of his spirit in your inward man. Not your outward man, but your inward spiritual person. What is the purpose behind this inward strengthening that he's praying for? Why does he want you to be worked on inwardly by the Spirit of God? Notice the next verse. So that or that Christ may dwell in your hearts. But notice, pay attention. There are other verses that say, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. Now Christ, either he lives in you or not, but here he's praying that he'd live in you. But he didn't, there's a difference. Christ lives in every believer. But the truth of Christ living in you does not dwell in every believer. So though Jesus lives in the believer by His Spirit, the truth that He lives in you is not in every believer. That's the Christ living in you or dwelling in you by faith. You understanding, after you gave your life to the Lord, God in all of His power and all of His authority came and dwells in you now. That can be a truth, but without the understanding... And without the revelation of it, you could live your whole life and love God and not realize that He changed you inwardly and made something of you. That He gave you authority. That He gave you dominion. That He lives in you in all of His power and He did a mighty work in you. The way that you know it is when Christ or the truth of these things dwells in you through faith. Notice this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There was a time in Galatia, in Galatia where those people uh, who were set right by God, just like all of us, we accepted a free gift, we got in good standing with God, they started going back under the old ways and trying to work to be right with God, and they labored and labored. Paul said this, he said they have forgotten certain things. So he labored in prayer. It says that Christ might be formed in them again. But it's that same book he said that Christ was inside of them. What was it that needed to be formed in them again? It was the knowledge of what Christ did, what Christ bought, until it became an inward part of their fabric, and that's how, you know, their inward consciousness, and that's how they saw life. And he prayed that way for them. But he prayed here that God's Spirit would strengthen you. Why? So you could, by his strength, lay hold on these truths. What will they do for you? Well, they'll help you to learn to live victorious in ways that people may not even recognize they can live in freedom. But notice he said that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Through faith, this is the result of this prayer. Notice, strengthened by his Spirit, so that this reality of Christ and what he bought and paid for would be in you by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love 
verse 18, may be able to comprehend. This strength by His Spirit will help you to comprehend. I'm just not getting it. But this strength by His Spirit in you when you hear the truth will help you to begin to spiritually comprehend it. You'll start going, I see it. In other words, you just won't go, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. You'll go, no, he's my Lord. That means he rules my life. That means other junk can't. I can make a stand against it. But if you don't comprehend it, you'll just go, yeah, Jesus is my Lord, and not realize you could actually rule and reign in life. That's a verse of Scripture. And so he said that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. This is for every single person, this comprehension of what Jesus did for you. Your place in God, His place in you. This is what He prayed. And Think about it. His Spirit, if somebody would pray this for themselves, I actually pray it for you. But you could pray it for other Christians because this is a prayer for believers, not lost. And God's Spirit would go to work in you and start strengthening you. When you get strong, you can do more. Right? And here's the thing. This strength gives you the ability to lay hold and comprehend certain truths. And notice he said that, that you may be, verse 18, able to comprehend with all the saints... So this is for everybody. What is the width, length, depth, and height, every direction, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. In other words, this truth is beyond what you can even naturally comprehend. But he strengthens us inside so we could see it with our spirits and know it beyond your natural mind. I mean, how in the world can the God of the universe dwell in you with all of his strength and your little old you? You ain't going to figure that out in your head, but you can know it in reality. But here's the thing right here. He kept talking about Christ dwelling in, then he explains this Christ dwelling in has to do with, if you notice, rooted and grounded in love, then he said, comprehend with all the saints what is this, uh, this width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. This is big. So that the end result, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, your life would be affected in every single way when you come to know this. Areas in your life, in every aspect, totally affected. You're filled with this in manifestation. But what is this love that he wants you to comprehend? Because sometimes people think, well... He loves me. He gave me a hug. And that's what Christians sing. And we sing songs. Oh, hug me, Lord. The Lord hug me. I know He loves me. No. It's not about a hug from the Lord. If that's all it is, we'd be all hurting. 
And here's an interesting thing. How many of you know that there are skewed ideas about love? You can watch TV or watch videos and you'll see somebody and they'll say something like this. Uh, they'll go, how come you keep going back to that guy? He keeps beating you and he slaps you around and he calls you names. And, you know, they have a shot of a picture of the girl with her eyes half swollen shut and fat lip and everything. And, well, I keep going back because he just loves me. He loves me. There's people that get verbally abused, physically abused, and then people go, it's because he loves me. The devil don't love you, and somebody who acts like that does not love you. Oh, no, I know he does, because afterwards he said, I'm so sorry I did that, but he keeps doing it. He does not love you. Love, remember this, this will help you, because love is measurable. Love can literally be measured. Jesus said, if you love me, you just love me. He said, no, keep my commandments. It's measured by the doing. Didn't, didn't the Bible say, love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, love is a forgiver, right? Aren't those definitions of love in the Bible? So then that means love is measurable. So when he's telling you to, that you can that you, I, and all the saints can know this vastness of His love, whatever this love is He's wanting us to comprehend is measurable. Because He said you can't even measure it in your own head. It's, it's bigger than this way, bigger than that way. What is this love that's so vast He wants you to comprehend? He Didn't He say that? I want you to comprehend this. So in other words you'll start being able to see the height, the width, the length. Of the In other words, it is measurable. And you may not be able to comprehend it all, but there's enough you can comprehend that will revolutionize your life. So to be honest with you, I won't say that. Oh, I want to. Some songs, I'm just going to say it, I think. There's a song, you never know how much it costs for Jesus, you know, to die on the cross. I'll never know. And people sing that all day long. I'll never know. Well, then don't pray this prayer. Because we're praying that we would know. And God wants you to know. He wants you to know so bad, He put gifts in people and we'll read about that in the next chapter. He put gifts inside of people, then trains them and develops them, gets them to a certain point so they can be skilled. Like Paul said, he said, I'm, I'm a master builder. He was beyond a journeyman. He was a master builder. Well, what was he building? Tinker toy projects, Lincoln Log houses. He was building lives. And he said, I'm a master builder. And so he was a master builder that built up people's lives. And this is all part of the tools he used to build people's lives besides the gift that was in him. So God is so involved and wants to be so involved in your life. Can you imagine people say, I can be just as good a Christian and not even go to church? How can you be that when God is invested in people to put something in you and you don't even go there to get what he put in you or wants to get in you? 
or go to something that just is feel good. When God doesn't want you to just feel good, He wants you to experience good and live in the best. And so He will endow people, develop people, so that they can be skilled and help you in life. So you have a responsibility to connect with that, a responsibility to listen, a responsibility to pay attention, and then respond to Him. But notice, if love is measurable, what is this love? Romans 5. We'll turn back here real quick. Romans, the fifth chapter. Actually, go to 1 John 4. Just head the other direction. Right before the end, you know, the book of Revelation. uh, 1 John, the fourth chapter. And if love is measurable... What kind of love is it that he's trying to get you and I to see? What kind of love, what is this love? Does he want you to know that Jesus just came skipping up to you and went, I love you. What will that do for you? Well, in some senses it may make you secure in some ways, but is that going to really revolutionize your whole life? But he does love you. But notice the ninth and 10th verse of 1 John 4. He said this, In this the love of God was manifest or literally revealed to us. In what? Now he's wanting us to know this love. What love is it? Remember it's called the love of Christ. But here the love of Christ is he's about to explain to us what this love is that's revealed to us. It's actually revealed to all of humanity. Notice this. It was manifested to us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. That is the manifestation of God's love toward man is when He sent His Son into the world. Notice that we might live or experience Zoe, our fullness of God's life, through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved Him or God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, which is a word you use all the time, I'm sure. Right? It literally is mercy seat or payment for the wrongs or payment that you needed. So Christ came as a payment, you could say it that way, for our sins. Now go to Romans. So love that he wants you to see is really the work of what Christ did. And if you read the whole context of Ephesians, that's plain and simple. But notice this in Romans, the fifth chapter, where we were about to go and we took a little journey over there. Notice this, verse 6. No, we'll read in verse 8. No, we'll read in verse 6. Let's just go back to Genesis 1. No. Verse 6. For when we were still without strength. What is this? You have to read through this whole book, the chapter before and the chapter after. What was he talking about when he was saying you were without strength? 
you were without good standing with God. You couldn't get right with God on your own. You couldn't work hard enough. You didn't have God in you. You had no hope to have God in you. You had no way of getting to heaven. You had no authority, all authority, that the authority that we once knew as man was cut off when Adam died. That's why the Bible said, in Adam all die, but in Christ, who is called the second Adam, all are made alive. Authority was lost. Authority over the devil, authority over elements and different things were lost. People's hearts became void. Their spirits became separated from God. You could go through a list. Sin became the ruler. Sickness became the ruler. Disease became the ruler. Demons became the rulers. People were under darkness and in the kingdom of darkness. So when he said in verse 6, and just read the whole rest of the chapter or read before, you'll see that's the state of man without God. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, what are we talking about? What is this love? It's actually what Jesus did when he died. What he bought, what he paid for, and who you really are now in Christ. For scarcely for a righteous man, one will die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Isn't that true? Uh, didn't you ever have conversations like that when you were younger? Hey, I, I'll tell you what, Joe, man, if you got into it, I'd die for you. <laughs> Not for Larry, but you, I would. Anybody ever have a conversation like that when you were little? I, I got your back, man. I'd die for you. Him? No. Or maybe them. That talk's been going along around for a long time. And he's saying, for good people, people would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His love toward us. Because without Him, we were losers. We were not worthy of, being, of dying for. But that was the demonstration of His love. So notice He said you were without strength. In due time, Christ died, but notice verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners in bad shape, in a bad place. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then it goes on to talk about justification. So what is this? Great love. It's what Jesus did when he died and he rose again. Now, when you read Ephesians, let's go back there before we close. If you'll read Ephesians, you'll know that he said this was a mystery about what Jesus would do and the church and what he wanted for mankind. And he said, now, I've written a few things later on. We'll read this. He said, so that you might understand my knowledge in this mystery. He didn't want it to stay a mystery, so he is praying this way. What Jesus paid for. So when we've read and looked at terms like in the last part of Ephesians 1, where it says, I'm in Peter. Ephesians 1, where we, where we read these things, these are the things that Christ paid for that he just is picking away at. Because when we get to the sixth chapter 
he's going to talk about a full-out wrestling and fight that we're in in this world. But long before he gets there, he tells us we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, in a victorious position, and that Jesus defeated all of those things we'll ever wrestle with, and that he was exalted and we were exalted in him. That's what's here at the end of the first chapter of Ephesians. When Christ was raised up above all these powers, we were raised up in him. We were dead in our trespasses when you get to the second chapter of Galatians in the first verse. And it talks about how we were quickened or made alive. We got spiritual life in Christ. Then it goes on to talk about as you keep going through. Actually, if you go back into the first chapter, it says in Christ what he paid for is so you would be blessed with every spiritual blessing. And then it says you have an inheritance. And then he has a positive expectation when you get down into the 18th and 19th verse for your life. And he was praying for him then. And you keep going. And it talks about how he returned us. And now us, non-Jewish people, are part of the commonwealth of the inheritance that belongs to the Jews. Belongs to us now. What belonged to Abraham and that blessing that lived on him is ours in Christ. This is all contained in the love that Christ has to you, what he did. So he just kind of makes his way through, and he keeps talking about how, you know, in the second chapter, in the 10th verse, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He recreated you inside. These are facts that you could live your whole life and not know. So he desperately preached them and then prayed that the people would get strength to comprehend them. And so when he talks about being exalted, he's talking about Jesus being raised to a victorious place, triumphant over all powers and evil and wicked that would face you, and you've been raised. But people so talk so little about themselves after they're saved. You know, I'm just a dirtbag, I'm just a dummy, I'm just this. And that's not what God calls you. And the reason you say that is you're not comprehending and God so desperately wants you to comprehend who you are and what you have because then you'll rise up to be a conqueror who you really were created. So if you just keep reading through these things as you get to this chapter, he talks about how we're joint heirs and we have an inheritance and, and what all that Christ did and and then he's not done when he gets into the fourth chapter. He goes back and starts reiterating stuff, how you've been created in true righteousness and true holiness. He keeps going on and on. And then he starts getting into stuff about how to close the door on the devil and how it's your responsibility. Why? Because of all the authority and all the stuff who you really are. And why does he teach the way he does all the way through? So that when we get to the sixth chapter, you're ready to win. Somebody's like, this could be months. We're on number 16. Well, you could read the thing on your own and pray. And I would suggest reading it. But when he's talking about that we might comprehend this, notices, and then he ends with this that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's talking about your heart, your life, everything about you being filled with the fruit of this. Answered prayers, walking in all this fullness. He wants your whole life full and filled 
with this truth so you can walk in these things. And what's interesting is, after he gets done praying about this love, so when you read about the love of Christ, realize Christ is, he loves you, but his love is measurable. His love is measurable. In other words, he returned authority to you as a believer. He puts you above all evil power as a believer in Christ. He gave you rights and privileges in Christ. He gave you a call to do something in his kingdom. He gave you stuff. He gave you a good position in God. Great position. Just actually, in all reality, it's the exact position he had. He, he got it, bought it. He had it. He lost it when he took sin upon himself. So that you could have what he once had. He became a substitute so you could be and walk in what he had. And so that being said, he's praying. And prayer is important. You ever hear people, they'll say this, they'll say, I talked to somebody the other day, I've known him for years, good person. And he called and he said, man, I just want to let you know my life. I'm, I've, I got it back and I'm going with God. And he, said, I know, I, I, he said, I know that he called me Pastor Dave because I knew him from California. He said, I know, I, I know this. He goes, I'm praying, but I know I got to pick up my word more and read. There's always a challenge against you reading the Bible and reasons why just you praying is good enough. But notice, he prayed and preached and gave them truth. Because if you just pray, that's going to get you maybe to a good place, but you still need the truth because that's what's going to build faith into you and cause you to see yourself different. Because think about it, he was preaching what we read and he was praying. So if you just say, well, I pray, that's all I do, I just don't have time for the Word, I would suggest, you know, it, you know, if you don't have a love for the Word that drives you to the Word yourself right now, instead of waiting for a love to come for it, just make it a priority then. Because there's a difference. Then you'll find, man, I got a love for this, and I need to get into that, the truth. Because why? Because it's vital for you to walk in all His best. And I mean, you know, don't get caught up on all the fringe stuff in the Bible. Find out what belongs to you in Christ, what he purchased, what he paid for. But notice this in this, this verse right here in verse 20. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. He's able to do this, and he has to, because we're asking him for, tr for truths out of the Word that we're not seeing. So how can you ask for something correctly if you don't even see it? So you just say, strengthen me, Lord, so I can comprehend this love that just I wouldn't see otherwise. And his Spirit, he said, will work in you and will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask according to that power that begins to work. How did the power begin to work in them? When somebody prayed for them. 
when you go to read the Bible, even when you go to bed at night, say, God, strengthen me out of the riches of that great power. If you ever saw heaven, you'd be blown away. He'll take of that life, that power, strengthen you. It will give you the ability to comprehend what's already yours in Christ. You with me? And that's why he did this. He preached and he prayed. I would encourage you to do this. Read the book of Ephesians a few times on your own. Just slowly read through it as we're looking at these things. And pray this prayer and that Ephesians prayer in the first chapter. And I guarantee you this, God will begin to show you stuff. And what will happen is you'll read through Ephesians one time and, you'll, and take notes if you want to or underline stuff. But, don't be, but be cautious. You know, when I first started underlining stuff, you, when you're first saved, you have to use caution. I'm just being honest. Because like when I first did it, I just was like. <laughs> and then somebody said, well, what did you underline? The whole thing. Because I was like, this is all real good. I, I was. I was like, whoa, whoa. And then I thought, wait just a minute. I had enough sense that I thought, maybe they have a Bible that somebody already markered with a marker. Because, But, I, but I'm going to need to mellow out on this and just certain things that really stand out more than others. So maybe get a piece of paper, and when you read through the first time, just things that seem to stand out, write the verse. You'll notice when you go back through the next time, some of those won't stand out, and you'll try to make them stand out. I've done it before. Read that verse again and again, like it doesn't stand out. But for some reason, three verses later, that really stands out, and it didn't stand out before. And I'm like, whoa, that's alive. That's the Spirit helping you to comprehend. I said, that's the Spirit helping you to comprehend. He wants you to comprehend these truths, but I know this for a fact. He's wanting you to comprehend stuff about your whole life, your future, your present, and not bad stuff. Maybe bad stuff's going to come, but he'll deal with you so you can pray and change it. He'll do that. I had a friend who was a missionary, and in his prayer life, he started knowing he shouldn't take this flight. And he thought, that's odd. And he kept praying. The more he prayed, the more he knew, don't take this flight. Now, you can get dumb thoughts in your head to say, don't go here, don't do this. You need to learn to differentiate between the two because then you'll live all paranoid. Can't do this, can't do that, and it's not God. But you can really know God. And so he went down to the airline thing and said, I need to change my flight to the next day. And they, didn't, they gave him a new ticket but didn't ask for his old ticket back. And so... Uh, on the news that night, the night before he left, there was a plane that was hijacked. Guess, which, guess what flight it was? The one he was on, going to be on that day, and he had the ticket. So he said, I keep it in my Bible as a bookmarker to remind me that God leads me. And he leads you too. Haven't you ever known something after it happened to you? And I knew that before. God was trying to get your attention. Amen.